Welcome to the audio podcast of North River Church. You can find out more about North River and ways you can be involved at our website, gonorthriver.org. Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to see you. Happy Father's Day to our dads. And let me be the first to say thank you for being flexible with us as we've had to make some adjustments from last week to this week, going from one service to two service, uh, the issue with the masks. So uh, your staff feels like we are building the plane as we're flying it right now. And uh, so thank you for uh, being gracious with us and working with us and doing your best to help us as we uh, seek to finish out our time here and praise God, move right down the road where we can make our own rules. Amen? Amen. Take your Bibles. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 15 with me this morning. Acts chapter 15, as you are making your way there, I want to know how many of you have ever totally, completely been wrong about something? Let me see your hand. Dads, I know it's Father's Day, but you don't get a pass. Yep, been wrong about something. Uh, I, I want to tell you the story of when I was dead wrong. Not long after Janie and I got engaged, we were heading down to Brandon. That was what we were going to do, to go visit her sister and the family, and we were going to go to Disney and enjoy all of that. And we left South Georgia. We're heading south to Florida. We get about an hour down the road, and my sweet wife leans over and says, Michael, where are you going? To which I quickly turned and said to her, I don't know about you, I'm going to Florida. And she leaned over and said, that's great, but which part of Florida? Now, my family vacationed in Panama City for as long as I can remember, and so I was driving to the Panhandle, and I don't know if you know this or not about Florida geography, Brandon is not in the Panhandle. And so very quickly, we had to course correct. We had to move in a different direction and get on I-75 and head south like we were supposed to. So... What we're going to see in the text this morning in Acts chapter 15 is a very needed course correction in the life of the early church. See, there was an issue that we're going to see play out in Acts chapter 15. There was some confusion about what the gospel message is, about what it takes for someone to be saved, and then how that plays out as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. That's the context of what's going to happen in Acts chapter 15. And so I want to read the text for us. I want to see if you can find the issues that are arising as we work through Acts chapter 15, verse 1 through 21. Parents, help your kids find Acts chapter 15. It's also going to be up on the screen, and so you can read it there as well. But this is what Luke records, beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. 
So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his own name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may see the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore... My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You know, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this main idea. It's going to frame our time together in the text this morning, and that is that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And kiddos, if you want to get school back in your brain for just a little bit, adults, this may help you as well. Here's the math equation that gives you what we just said, and Jesus is enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, we're going to unpack that as we walk through the text, and so I want you to take notice first in verses 1 through 5 of the confusion regarding the gospel message. The confusion regarding the gospel message. Kids, draw a picture of a very confused face. So when your parents ask you a question and you go, huh? 
I want you to draw that picture, okay? But there's confusion surrounding the gospel message. We see that play out in verses 1 through 5. Because there are men from Judea who came down into these Gentile areas and began saying to them that Jesus is not enough. That you need Jesus plus this work that was prescribed in the Old Testament for God's people to be saved. You need Jesus plus something to be saved. Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus something or you cannot be saved. Now, for Paul and Barnabas, they had an issue with this which we all should have an issue with this because the gospel message is very clear. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no work that we can do that helps us be saved. There's no work that we can do after we're saved to help God love us any more than he already does. And so they argue with these men. They say, listen, this is a problem. They debate between themselves of how to answer this serious concern that has been brought to them. And so they say, listen, we need to head to the mother church in Jerusalem where all of this was started. And we need to have a conversation with the elders, with the leaders within the church and address this scenario. Now, I want you to notice that as they leave and head up, I don't know if you're like me, but usually when problems arise, it can easily suck the joy out of life. I don't know if you ever noticed that, that when problems arise in your life, it's easy to lose sight of all that God has done. But I think it's interesting that for Paul and Barnabas here, that even after this issue arose, this great confusion over the gospel message, that as they're traveling up to Jerusalem, they're not strategically trying to figure out how to win the battle. What they're doing is going and sharing all that God has done with the Gentiles, celebrating, being joyous about what God has accomplished in the gospel message spreading throughout the known world at that point. And so as they arrive in Jerusalem, they share once again what God has done. The amazing grace of the Lord on display, the gospel message moving from Jew to Gentile, from one race to the other, and the gospel transforming lives. And yet there are some in verse 5 that tells us that they were not happy about this, that they said to these men, to the believers that were gathered, no, 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 no. It's not enough just to have Jesus. You need Jesus plus something else to be saved. Circumcision following the law of Moses. So we see the confusion regarding the message of the gospel. But I want you to notice, secondly, that we have clarification in verses 6 through verse 18 regarding the message of the gospel. Where, kids, if you want to write draw this picture of of glasses that help us see clearly what's going on around us. That there's clarification. If you notice what happens, three different people speak about this issue. The first who speaks about it is Peter. And this is significant because if you look back at Acts chapter 11, it's Peter who was the very first apostle who shared the gospel with the Gentiles. If you want to go back and remember what happened there, he sees a vision and God says, listen, there's nothing that is unclean. And so he goes and he shares the gospel with the Gentiles and they're saved and the Holy Spirit comes on them and confirms that this is God's plan. This is God's purpose being fulfilled. 
And so what we see happen is Peter stands up and he says, guys, don't lose sight of what we've already witnessed God accomplish in the Gentiles. Don't allow this to distract us from the truth of who the gospel is for and what it takes for someone to be saved. And then following that, we see that Paul stands up and Barnabas, and they also declare, here's what God is doing. Here's how God is saving the Gentiles, just like he saved those of us who are Jews. There's no distinction between us in God's eyes. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And then James, the brother of Jesus, stands up. And James does something very skillfully in this conversation. James goes back and points to the Old Testament prophets and says, this should not surprise us, church, in the least because the prophets testified that this was going to happen. You see, God's plan all along was not just to save the Jewish people. God's plan all along was to save people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Every person who is a sinner separated from God can be saved if they'll trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And so that is the clarification that's offered. I want you to notice that finally they commit as the church. They commit regarding the gospel message. Kids, if you're drawing your pictures, draw the picture of a rock, something that's fixed, that is firm, that they will not deviate from. I want you to notice what James records in verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. James looks and he says, listen, here is our commitment. We are not going to proclaim a message of salvation that extends beyond Jesus is enough. That you can be saved from your sins by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That, James says, is the message of the gospel that is being proclaimed. But I want you to notice as well that he also, in the midst of saying we are committed to the true gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed, he also says to Paul and to Barnabas, we're also though committed to unity among the believers. And so he says, as they head back into these Gentile areas to encourage these Gentiles who turn from their sin and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, to take very seriously that some of the things that they may be free to do in Christ may highly offend their Jewish brothers and sisters and even Jews who are not yet believers. And so that he says to them, encourage them to abstain from these things so as to maintain unity so that there is not a stumbling block that is put before any Jewish person who may would come to faith in Christ, but they look at your life and they say, if that is going to happen, I can't trust Jesus as my Savior. See, what we see in the text this morning in Acts chapter 15, 1 through 21 is a very clear description, a very clear picture of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It is not Jesus plus something that equals salvation. It is Jesus plus nothing that equals salvation. 
I want to encourage you to stand with me, and our worship team is going to come back up. We're going to spend some time worshiping, and then we'll gather back together around the Word and look at some application of how we can take the text this morning and apply it to our own lives. So if you would, go ahead and stand. Father, we ask that as we sing right now that you would remind us of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there may be some in this room who have never taken the step of trusting Jesus as their Savior. And they have in their minds, they need Jesus plus something in order to be saved. And God, would you help them see this morning that they need Jesus. They need to trust what He's accomplished for them on the cross. What His resurrection secures for them. That that is enough to be saved. It's in His name we pray. Amen. We've set this up in such a way, hopefully, to help our kids walk through the Scriptures together and help you as well. One of the things that as we walk through the text, we don't ever want this to just be about transferring information. We want this information to lead to life transformation. And so over the next few minutes, I want us to unpack what does this text say to us individually and as a church collectively today. So as we look at Acts chapter 15, as we think through what the text has communicated, what's going on in the text, the implications of all that has transpired there, then how do we take that and apply it to our own lives. So let's think about this as we talked about the confusion that existed there in verses 1 through 5. What about today? In what ways are people confused about the gospel message today? Well, I can think of two primary ways that people are confused. One is what we talked about that we see taking place in the text, and that is a works-based salvation, meaning that our culture is geared in such a way that we are conditioned to think that we have to work to get something. And so we take that and we transfer that into a relationship with God. And so potentially prior to salvation, we think in our minds that we have to clean ourselves up in such a way that we will be presentable to God. That maybe if we can just clean our act up, you may have heard, I've had conversations with people who have said this, and they say, you know, um, I just kind of need to clean myself up a little bit before I can come to church. And what I want to say is, you don't know church people very well. We're a messed up bunch of people, right? Say, speak for yourself, pastor, right? But here's the thing. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not the message that is proclaimed. That was the issue that was going on in the early church, and that is still an issue today. There are people who think that I can't come to church or I can't trust Jesus as my Savior until I clean my life up. And one of the things that we see that is emphasized by Peter is that it can't happen. In fact, he's looking back in the Old Testament and he says, listen, we can't burden people with something that we ourselves couldn't even take care of. He says, even us as Jewish people, we could not live perfectly the law that God had prescribed for us. There's no way that that could be accomplished. And the same thing's true for today. We cannot satisfy the demands of the law of God. 
And that is why we need Jesus Christ. He is the only one who could satisfy living a perfect, sinless life. And so every single one of us needs to be reminded of that reality. We don't earn our way into favor with God. It is all through what Christ accomplished for us. And so as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we don't proclaim a gospel of works of earn your way to heaven. We proclaim a gospel of grace. Jesus paid it all so that we could receive it all. Now here's the other problem for us as believers. There are times in our lives where even after we've trusted Jesus as our Savior, we operate and think that God likes us more when we do the right thing and He doesn't like us a whole lot when we do the wrong thing. I want you to know, just like a parent, your love for your child doesn't fluctuate on the basis of whether or not they're doing what you want them to do. Now there's times you may not like your kids a lot, And you may need to discipline your kids, and God does that with his children, but God's love for us is not contingent on us earning his love. And so not only are we not saved by works-based salvation, we don't continue walking in the Lord by works either. We walk in the grace of the Lord. But here's the other way that the gospel message is being confused today, and that is that there's no distinction that everybody, regardless of how they approach God, is eventually going to get there. It's defined in such a way that it's described as if everyone is kind of at the base of the mountain and God is at the top of the mountain, and it doesn't matter which path you take, doesn't matter which religion you choose, or if you choose no religion at all, everybody eventually is going to make it to the top. Let me just remind us, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation is only through Jesus. No one will be saved apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, for us, we need to know how are people confused as it relates to the gospel message today so that we can engage them at that level. Not only that, how can we as believers clarify the gospel message in our culture. How do we clarify this? So as we're interacting with people, as we're discussing the gospel with people in our workplaces or in our neighborhoods, how do we make sure that we clarify if the tendency is them to have a wrong notion of what the gospel is? How do we clarify that? Well, first, we affirm what Scripture affirms. We stand on God's Word unapologetically. We stand on the truth of the Scriptures. We affirm that every single person is created in God's image and meant to have a relationship with Him. We affirm that sin entered the world in Genesis 3 and that every single person, as a result of sin, is separated from God. And we affirm what Scripture affirms, that Jesus Christ came to this earth, the very Son of God, lived a perfectly sinless life, went to the cross, taking your sin and my sin upon himself, paid our debt of sin, was buried and was raised again on the third day, securing for us salvation if we will trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. That is what Scripture affirms, and church, that is what we should affirm. That is how we clarify. Here is what the gospel is. Here 
is the good news of where you can go from being separated from God to being in relationship with Him. And we also reject what Scripture rejects. We reject works-based salvation. We reject universal salvation. We look and we say, no, those things cannot be true because this is what Scripture affirms. And so that's how we can clarify the message of the gospel in our culture. And then here's the final question. As we think about in our own lives, are we willing to commit to proclaiming the gospel message everywhere we go? See, that's where it all boils down. Are we willing to commit, as the early church was, that as we go, every place we go is a mission field where God has sent us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we go and we share it urgently with conviction. We believe that people separated from God will spend eternity in hell unless they trust Jesus as their Savior. And there is a sense of urgency for us that people need Jesus Christ to be saved. And so convictionally, we believe that. And so we go and we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's transformed our lives, we want to transform others' lives. And we share the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly, listen, but with compassion. Boldly, unapologetically, this is the way to salvation. But notice that next part, with compassion. I don't know if you know this or not. People don't like jerks. Amen? And for us as believers, if we are not careful, we can come across at times as jerks. And so I am perfectly okay if someone is offended by what the gospel message is, by the exclusivity of it, that no one can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. I'm willing to take that hit. If that offends someone, that's okay. But I don't want to offend someone because I'm a jerk. I want to boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel, but I want to do it with compassion. We as a church should want to do that with compassion. As it's described of Jesus, as he looked on the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. We live in a culture where there are people who are without a shepherd. They are without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we as the church are called boldly to commit to share the gospel of them with compassion. And so church for us, believer for you, that is how we can take this text, Acts chapter 15, verse 1 through 21, and apply it to our lives so that we don't leave church this morning and say, wow, I learned a lot, that we leave church this morning and we say, I know what God's called me to do this week. That's where I hope we leave today. Let's pray. Father, we are again thankful for your word. We're thankful for the opportunity we've had to study it together, to sing, to share with one another. Father, use this passage of Scripture, use the text, use the application to drive home the truths in our lives today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.